You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. Uh, it's just uh, such an honor that you would choose to, to join us. It's a bye Sunday, so the Steelers aren't playing, so we're going to be here all day, all right? Um, the Steelers can't lose today, thank goodness. Um, so uh, if you haven't been with us throughout this month, we've been going through a series called Holy Roar. <clears throat> and really the, the idea of this whole series is the, the, the value and impact of worship on our lives. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, I'm sure many of you do, but 18 years ago, it's hard to believe this, but uh, 18 years ago, uh, we remember that thousands of people lost their lives on, on September 11th, 2001, as planes crashed into the World Trade Centers and it crashed into the Pentagon, and plane crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It was a devastating moment. I don't know if you remember that. It feels like a lifetime ago sometimes, but when I watch the documentaries on 9-11, it kind of takes me back like it was yesterday. The emotion, the feelings of that moment all come rushing back. And, and I'll never forget the Sunday following 9-11. Churches were packed. There's such an incredible spirit across our, our country. Uh, there was this universal sense uh, of awareness and care, regardless of where people, who people were, where they came from, what they looked like. Like, we were loving each other and caring for each other. We were supporting each other. While, and while 9-11 was one of the most tragic moments in our nation's history, the season that followed was one of the most beautiful seasons uh, in our history. We saw the resilience, the true heart, the incredible spirit of the American people. And it's interesting when you look at it, that, that when you think about this, that people were mean and hateful and selfish on September 10th of that week. And, but on September 12th, they, they were lining up to give blood. People were willing to donate their time and money to whatever cause would help the greater good. And, and there was a sense across the nation that although this was a difficult time, we were in this together. That we weren't fighting each other, we were working together. And, and when, when you look at this, you ask yourself, what changed? Did the people change? Like, what was different in that moment from September 10th to September 12th? Sure, there was tragedy, amazing, horrible, devastating tragedy. But what really was different? And while I don't believe that people were different, I think they were the same after 9-11, something did change. It was their outlook. The horrific, painful experience that our nation endured on 9-11 changed our universal outlook thus changing the outcome in our world. And this morning, I just want to share this simple, simple thought from God's word, that your outlook can change your outcome. Your outlook on a situation, on a circumstance, can change your outcome. Let me explain this a little bit uh, a different way. A few weeks ago, um, in my life group, we were talking about what causes a bad day. I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, what causes a bad day in my life? Um, we, we usually kind of came to this. It usually starts when something frustrating or unexpected happens. Like your dog or your children march into your room an hour earlier than you wanted to get up, robbing you of precious sleep. Or, or maybe your car won't start in the morning or on your way to work, your, your brakes on your car are acting up, making noises. Or, or maybe uh, you, your hair just won't do what you want it to. Um, 
or, or, or your, you, your favorite shirt has a stain on it. You go to put it on, you see the stain, you stub your toe on your way into the kitchen, or you walk in your kid's room and step on those dreaded Legos. feels like your foot's going to explode. Um, like, whatever it is, something happens. Bad days usually start with one bad thing that happens, which then changes your outlook on the entire day. And now everything you see or experience that's not good further reinforces your idea and your notion, this is just going to be a bad day. Because your outlook can change your outcome. The, the technical term for this is the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. And here's, here's how it goes. Uh, th- this phenomenon occurs when the thing you've just noticed, experienced, or been told about suddenly seems to crop up everywhere. Have you ever noticed that? Like you buy a red Toyota and all of a sudden everyone is driving a red Toyota. And you're like, what happened? Um, did we all see the same Facebook ad? I don't know what it was. But it, it gives you the feeling that out of nowhere pretty much everyone is talking about that subject. That the entire day is maybe ruined. Or, or that everyone seems to be driving the same car that you just purchased. And you're not crazy. You really are seeing it more. It's, it's the truth. Uh, but the truth is you probably aren't experiencing a higher quantity uh, like the, the same number of bad things are happening that day as any other day or, or the same uh, number of people are talking about that topic as any other day. The difference is you're just noticing it more. And this is the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon that you start noticing things differently because your outlook has changed. And, and consequently the outcome changes. You start to see these things and it reinforces what you're thinking. And, and a lot of our bad days, our difficult days, happen not because we've got more bad things happening but because of this Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, we start to notice them more. We start to connect dots more. Or we start to say, oh man, this happened, this happened, this happened. I got another red light. I can't believe it. I haven't gotten three red lights in a row in like three days. This must be a bad day. We start connecting those dots. And you see, I believe so much of our lives could be changed if we recognized the impact of our outlook on our outcomes. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Second Chronicles, we see the impact of a person's outlook or their posture in a situation as King Solomon was preparing to dedicate the temple. Solomon had spent some 20 years, millions and millions of dollars, building this impressive structure. This building uh, that his father David had dreamt of that we called the temple. And, and the temple was built in the center of downtown Jerusalem. It was the center of, of Jewish worship and it was an architectural marvel in its day. Monarchs, international leaders would travel from all over the world to see what Solomon had built. This was an impressive building. And, and as Solomon was dedicating the temple, he could have done what most people would have do, done. You know, he could have celebrated the grandeur of the building, the impressive feat it was to construct it, or, or the wealth it took to build this building. And, and if you read about the temple, it was beautiful. and had uh, incredible wealth uh, all through it. He could have done that. He, he could have touted the part he played in doing what his father, David, could not. He, he could have done a lot of different things, but instead, uh, he did something uh, a little bit of a different way. He took a different turn, different approach. And, and, and the posture or approach that he took would transform the future function of this temple. And it's recorded in, in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And, and 2 Chronicles is located in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Here's what, what it says in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says, Then Solomon stood before the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. 
Now he made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide. We don't use cubits. That's seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. And it says in, in three cubits high, which is four and a half feet high. So he built like a, basically a platform out in the courtyard of the temple for everyone to see. And he's standing on this platform. He placed it in the center of the outer court and says, he stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And this is a remarkable moment if you really step back and think about this. Uh, the king, the ultimate authority in, in the nation of Israel, like he was the supreme ruler in Israel, is dedicating the temple and he now bows, kneels before all of the people, puts his hands out in worship. And here's what he says in verse 14. He said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you fulfilled it as it is today. What's he doing? He's giving credit for all the stuff that's sitting behind him to God. Isn't that remarkable? Solomon is going so counterculture in this moment. Kings built big buildings and palaces and things like this so that they could tout them. They could show them off so that people could see how amazing they were. And in this moment, Solomon does the opposite. He kneels down before the people, puts out his hands and says, God, this is yours. You are the source of what's behind us. You are the reason that we're here. And with this heart posture of worship, Solomon uh, redefines the function. As he kneels before this, his outlook transformed the outcome of the work he had done to construct this temple. And in this story of Solomon dedicating a temple is more than just some model we follow for dedicating a building. But it's really an example for us of how we respond to what life throws our way. Because if our lives are to become the, a holy roar in our world, if, if, if we are to overcome even the most impossible of circumstances, we have to be willing to dedicate all that we are to God and to respond to what life sends our way with this posture of worship. And, 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 and this isn't just because, you know, God's saying you should do it. This isn't just because the pastor says you should do it. It's because your outlook can change your outcome. Your, your outlook toward a circumstance, a situation, can change the outcome. What, what takes place? What unfolds? When, when we take a posture of worship, we invite God into our messy moments, into our monumental moments, in the big moments, in the small moments. And as we do this, God always responds. He isn't deaf to our prayers or to our worship, but he speaks to us. He empowers us. He equips us in the, those special or possibly even mundane moments. And, and in fact, this is exactly what God does in, in this situation with Solomon and the people of Israel. If you continue this story through 2 Chronicles into chapter 7, here's, here's what it says in chapter 7. It says, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Can you, be a, can you imagine being one of the, the priests or, or leaders that day? As Solomon has planned this whole ceremony. And, and they've got the platform built seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, four feet up. Solomon's up there. He gets down. He kneels. And he prays before God. And they've got this whole ceremony scripted out. Why? Because this is a really big moment. This is something that generation after generation of Israelites had talked about, dreamt of. 
They'd, they'd, they had something called the tabernacle, which was kind of a portable temple for, for generations. Now they had a physical place to worship, the temple. This big moment was, was planned out perfectly. And, and now Solomon prays. And, and their thought is, okay, this is the prayer moment. This is the moment where Solomon prays, and then we're going to move on to, you know, the, the big feast or the dinner or, you know, that's what people, God's people do, right? When we, we come together, we just eat. That's what we do. And, you know, whatever they were going to do, they were going to go through. And now all of a sudden, something interrupts it. Fire comes from heaven. I can imagine, like, their event planner, like, whoa, we didn't call for pyrotechnics. Who called for the pyrotechnics? I don't remember that on the uh, invoice. And, and God consumes the altar in that moment. He consumes it. Listen, and it goes on. It says, the, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. Solomon, as, 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 as one person, one man, turned his attention toward God, surrendered what he had accomplished to God in his posture of worship. What was the result? God responded. God consumed the altar. God consumed. And not only that, he inspired the nation to respond in kind. They started to worship God. God took what was a special, remarkable human accomplishment in, in, in the natural, and he transformed it into this amazing supernatural moment. It wasn't just look at what we have done. Now it was look at what God is doing. It, it turned the corner. It, he consumed all that was ultimately offered to him. And, and then God didn't stop there. See, when we worship, when we're willing to come before God, God begins to respond. And, and God responds to Solomon in this moment publicly. Fire consumes the altar. The glory of the Lord hovers over the temple. The people start worshiping. It's an incredible moment. I can't imagine how Solomon must have been that night coming back home thinking, reflecting back, wow, what a moment. This is something my father had dreamt of. This is something generations have talked about. And I got to see the reality of it in this moment. Man, God showed up. It was incredible. I don't know if you've ever like, come home from a church service or, or God meets you in a place and you're like, wow, this was amazing. I, I can't believe I got to be part of this. And, and this is where Solomon was. And later that night, as things kind of quieted down in this still moment, God speaks to Solomon. And here's what he says to him. As Solomon is... is uh, kind of reflecting back, God is sharing with him, Solomon, the posture you took today, the posture of worship you took in this moment that could have been an opportunity for you to gain credit, the posture you took of worship is redefining how this temple will function, the outcome of what you've built into the future, into generations to follow. Here's what he said. Uh, He said uh, to him later that uh, day, verse 12, it says, the Lord appeared to him that night, and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. 
What God is sharing with Solomon here is, is that, that your posture of worship has literally changed the outcome of this moment. And if you continue to take that posture, even when everything is falling apart, I'll show up. I'll change the environment. Now, if you continue to change your outlook, I will change the outcome. If you can continue to surrender yourself to me humbly, I'll change the environment. Why, why is that? Because your outlook can change your outcomes. And when we take a posture of worship, it not only changes our outward outlook, but God begins to change us on the inside. He begins to transform us on the inside. See, in worship, we take this posture of surrender. This is why maybe sometimes you see people lifting their hands in worship. It's because it's an act of surrender. Or sometimes when people are praying or worshiping, you see them kneel because it's an act of humility. It's saying, God, I'm not enough in myself. God, I can't do this on my own, but I surrender to you. I humbly come before you knowing, admitting that I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm not enough to, to do this. See, worship leads our hearts to a place of surrender. And in a place of surrender, God takes what has been sacrificed before him and he consumes it just as he did that day in downtown Jerusalem. And and what God consumes, he transforms. God is able to do more in those moments than we could dream of doing in a lifetime. We recognize that our our outlook can change our outcome. God can do amazing things. And can I I share something with you? You As I was praying for, for this morning, God just really put something on my heart. Some of us here today, you've been going to church for decades. Like, church has been a place, you, you barely can remember a time when you weren't in church, when every Sunday you're there. And that's awesome. That faithfulness is remarkable. But for some of you, worship has become more about the pride, more about the status, more about how godly you are, that others can see, man, I'm worshiping God. Look, my hands are raised. I'm really spiritual today. I'm gonna kneel. It becomes more of a status. And I wanna challenge you today Worship isn't meant to be a status, and it's not a show, and it's not a pride thing. What, what you see here in 2 Chronicles 2, what, what God is sharing with Solomon and sharing with us, is worship starts at a place of surrender and humility. If God's going to transform you, it starts with your outlook. It, it doesn't just start with your outward appearance, like, man, I look spiritual today because I'm worshiping. I, I look the part. No, I, that, that's not what it's about. It's about what's going on in your heart, your humility and your surrender. My challenge to you, if that's where you are, is to recapture, recapture the passion and the humility that maybe you experienced decades ago, maybe years ago, that, that you came with this heart, God, I'm not enough without you. God, I need you more than I ever have before. God, I am simply a sinner saved by grace. Would you change me and transform me again? Would you do something in my life again? I need you to move in my situation, my circumstances. Even in the good moments, God, it's not me, it's you. Just as Solomon did. It wasn't a great moment. This wasn't a devastating moment for Solomon. This was one of his pinnacle moments, if not the pinnacle moment of his entire reign as king. This wasn't a devastating moment, trust me. Even in the good moments, God, I'm gonna turn my heart to you. I'm gonna worship you. If you're there and you've been doing that, I wanna challenge you, push yourself. God, how can I surrender more? God, how can I come before you in humility, you might have years of experience of following Jesus, and that's awesome. But just as Jesus said, the, the kingdom of God belongs to those who, who approach him just as children, with that humility, with, with that surrender, with that trust. 
For, for others of you, this is such a crazy concept. The idea of worshiping. You're like, I'm not really like a, 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 a Christian person. I'm not a church person. I don't worship. I'm not the guy that's going to come to the altar, you know, and weep myself to sleep and, you know, curl up in a ball and have this amazing spiritual moment. Like, that's not me. I get it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming to God with a heart of surrender and humility, taking that posture of worship. Because when we can do that, I promise you it will change your outcomes. When we truly come with an outlook of worship, a posture of worship, God changes the outcomes. He does. Why? Because he changes us. He, he, he doesn't just change the circumstances. Like they still might be difficult and hard and all of that. But what he does is he changes us from the inside. And when he changes us, it changes their outlook. Therefore changing the outcomes. And as the worship team comes today, maybe you're here. Maybe you've tried the, the 10 steps to success. You've, you've tried like the, the five ways you can dig yourself out of difficult circumstances. Whatever article or blog you might uh, come across or article you read on Facebook or wherever. Like you've tried all of that and nothing's worked. You, you've tried it and it feels like you're spinning your wheels. Can I challenge you today with this idea? In our attempt to change our outward circumstances, we need to first change our inward posture. That happens through worship. We can try to change all the circumstances around us till we're blue in the face. We'll spend an entire lifetime trying to do that. And, and there are times we might see a little bit of progress, but we always fall short because it starts on the inside. And that starts taking a posture of worship. You, you may have been trying so many other things to overcome what you're facing. And, and today, God is just asking you to turn your face toward him and to worship. To ultimately allow him to consume you. Because the first step to changing your life isn't changing your circumstances. It's ultimately about changing you. Changing who you are. What, what you do on the inside. And that might seem like, I did that a long time ago. You know what? You might need to do it again. I understand that we have these moments, these spiritual moments where we surrender our lives to Jesus and and, and, and we, we cross the, the line of faith and we say, I'm a follower of Jesus today, and that is awesome. But we never reach a point. We will never reach a point. If there's still breath in our lungs that we don't need to surrender, to humbly come before him and to offer ourselves. Solomon was a great leader, one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth, one of the wealthiest human beings ever on the face of the earth. You can go the whole scope of human history. One of the wealthiest men ever in human history. He had it all. And Solomon recognized, in spite of all that I've accomplished, all that I have, it still starts with this simple relationship with my creator. That I come before him in front of crowds of people. I kneel and I worship because he's the one that deserves my praise. When we take a posture of worship, God consumes everything that we surrender to him. When we're willing to surrender to him, we put it in his hands. And he consumes it just as he did that day at the altar. And he takes it and he does far more. The good moments, they get even greater. Why? Because God consumes it. And you walk with humility. And people see the humility that you lead with, that you serve with, that you work with it in your job. And you know what? It gives credit to God. And it allows you to have even greater influence. When, 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 when in the difficult moments when we surrender to God God consumes it and even in the bad moments 
Paul says God can work all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. How does that happen? It's not about you having good things happen. That's about God working his purposes through you because you've surrendered, because humbly you come before him. And, you know, we can talk about this today and talk about how our our outlook can change our outcomes and and go home and and have a great day. But I want to take a moment and practice this. Can we do that? Can we do that for a second? If you just feel comfortable, maybe just bowing your head, putting your hands out before you. We're going to sing this song together called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's an older song. Let's just take a moment, push aside all your distractions, all that's before you. Let's practice this and humbly come before him in worship. Let's sing this song together. And for some of you this morning, your, your step in that moment, in that posture, is to surrender your life to him. Some of you, maybe church is something new. You've never been to church or you've been coming, but you've never really said, hey, I'm in. For you, it might be saying, God, I admit I need a savior. God, I know I'm not perfect. I've messed up. I've screwed up. God, I'm going to accept your forgiveness. I'm going to commit my life to live for your purposes. I want to follow your plan for my life. For some of you, that's the step you need to take to say, you know what? I've been trying to be my own savior. Today, I recognize that I need God at work in me. His forgiveness, his power, his purpose. I need that in my life. I can't do this on my own anymore. For some of you, that's the step you need to take. And I don't want to move past this moment without giving you that chance to say, God, I surrender myself to you because God will consume what you surrender to him. He will transform from the inside out. He'll change you. He'll change your outlook. It might not be an instantaneous thing, but I guarantee you in the coming days and weeks and months, God will change and transform your life as the Holy Spirit works in you when you're willing to surrender yourself to him. If if that's you this morning, in a minute, I'm just going to count to three. Before we move on today, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you, say, God, I'm going to reach my hand toward you. Solomon took this posture. He knelt before God, opened his hands. Today, the posture, if you're saying, I need to surrender my life to you, I just want you to say, God, I'm physically going to take this posture. I'm ready. I'm in. I want to follow you. I want to experience your forgiveness. I'll I'll, I'll do whatever you ask of me. That's you this morning. I'm going to ask you to reach your hand toward heaven on the count of three. One, two, three. Would you reach your hands toward heaven this morning? We're going to pray together. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me. Here's your challenge. Find somebody that you can serve. Not so you can post it on Facebook so the whole world would know. Because if you do, you've got your reward. Boy, it got quiet in here, Michael. Come on. You don't have to post it out there so everybody knows. Find somebody you can serve. Maybe it's a neighbor down the street. We had an elderly neighbor when I was a pastor. We had an elderly neighbor. They were from England. And I saw her out there trying to shovel her walk one Sunday. I, I, my boys were living at home at the time, and I, it was cold outside, so I sent them out to shovel. <laughs> And I did my good deed by doing that. (laughs) That many times I went down there with him. The idea is, we didn't do it. She would bring us cookies up. I said, you don't need to do that. 
We're doing it because we care about you. Find somebody to serve. Find somebody to give to. There's people this time of year that don't have much. One of the most moving commercials that I have seen is a mom who's working and the son goes out and sells his PlayStation, folds up the laundry and decorates the Christmas tree. And she walks in and sees that and he just kind of shrugs his shoulders like I, I gave what I could, mom. How moving is that? It's not in the gift. It's in the heart. Push that button on that, Michael. That's my phone. <laughs> I'm preaching now, Lord. I'm preaching. Not time to call me. You'd think the preacher turned his cell phone off, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, boy, how do I land this plane now? <laughs> Circle in the airport. Find someone you can serve, someone you can give to, someone you can show the love of God to. Find somebody. Find somebody. Find somebody. Preferably outside the church. Find somebody in your neighborhood. Find somebody at the store. Find somebody that's just, you see a cashier looks frazzled. Say, you having a bad day? They say, yeah. I'm going to pray for you. That all right? Not in a line because you got 12 people behind me. But as I walk out, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? Find somebody you can minister to. Find somebody. Introvert or not. You extroverts, you got this. You got somebody in mind. You introverts, you're scared to death. It's all good. People don't bite. Well, some people do, but. Here's a great, here's a great one. In a couple of weeks, I don't remember the exact date. Somebody can help me with this, but we're going caroling in a couple of weeks, and I believe we're going to some local nursing homes. When is it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm a former hospice chaplain, so I went to a lot of nursing homes. There's a lot of these folks, these older folks in nursing homes that are left there by their families, essentially abandoned to the system. And you just going in and singing and maybe just having a conversation with one of these older folks could totally make their Christmas. I've seen dozens of them. Maybe they have dementia and they don't even know who their family is. It doesn't mean they don't need love. Come on. Great opportunity. Wednesday, is that right? Wednesday this week. I'm sure there's information out in the lobby. We can find out about that. Great opportunity. Even if you can't sing, you can be there just to encourage somebody. Look for those opportunities this season. That's why he came, to bring order to your chaos, to bring peace and hope and love and joy. All this other stuff that we do is just kind of a extra. Let's go the extra mile for somebody else this morning. Can we? I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for coming. 
Thank you that you love us beyond what we can grasp or understand. And I pray, God, as we go into this season, in just a few weeks as we celebrate Christmas, I pray, Father, that you will put somebody in our path that we can serve, that we can encourage, that we can speak an encouraging word to, that we can minister to, as you have so often ministered to us. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 